and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche interests that they could just talk for Ireland about. Here are your hosts, I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Alyssa, how are you? Hiya! Hi, I'm Alyssa, I'm um, from Denver, Colorado. I've been living in Ireland for three years now, or it'll be nearly four years actually. And I just finished a degree in UCD in Irish history, and my niche, niche, um, Knowledge is all about the Inishbofin Island, County Galway, which is um, right on the north, uh, north, northernmost edge of County Galway, nearly Mayo. And it's in a highland of 180 people. And it's my passion. It's my whole personality. So we're going to talk about today. <laughs> it's amazing. So uh, why exactly Inishbofin now? Like, because we, we've had a wide variety of topics on the show thus far. Um, you know, everything from things like knitting and, and crocheting to like sharks, which is our most recent episode. But we've never had someone come on and, and pick like a whole ass island. So why Inishbofin? Okay, so Inishbofin found me rather than how I found it. Um, I was studying in Switzerland, doing a degree at a, uh, an American university. And the head of the history department there um, was an Irish Irish person who had his PhD through UCD. And he brought us uh, to a, a tour of Ireland, like a three-week tour of Ireland for the centenary of 1916. And so I got to see a lot of Ireland. I ended up falling in love with it. I've, I've loved the idea of Ireland since I was a little girl. Um, my mom's a school teacher and she was really into like uh, fairy stories and things like that. And the Irish ones always really fascinated me and my siblings. And so I've always wanted to visit Ireland since a little kid. When I finally visited here and saw the universities here, met people, I was like, okay, I want to live here. And so I quit college at my other university, got accepted in UCD. And so the winter that I knew I was accepted, I applied to a bunch of workaway positions, which is where you work a few hours a week in, in trade for uh, free room and board. Um, and the reason I did this mm -hmm. is because I wouldn't have had a work visa for Ireland, so I couldn't have lived here and supported myself unless I did something like that, because you can do it under a tourist visa. Um, okay. which is really and so I applied to a bunch of places and I applied to like a bunch of places in Galway City but you needed a better visa for what they wanted for me and the guy who owned the hostel in Inishbofin sent me a beautiful email and was like hey Alyssa do you want to come work with us for, for four weeks uh, you'll have your own room you only work 15 hours and there's a beach nearby we have no wi-fi but you can read a lot of books and all the young people there are really nice and I was terrified because I thought there was like no cars. I thought there was going to be no people. There's like 180 people. It's five miles offshore, two hours away from Galway. I'm like, this is going to be horrible, but I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> because I have a I have a sense of adventure. And so I just agreed. And I moved there, never having having lived in Ireland before. I went straight from Dublin Airport to Inishbofin. And um, I really, really fell in love with the place. But it actually was really kind of rough in the very beginning. Like the people there are... Uh, have been, known each other for so very long that it's kind of hard as a person just coming by yourself to really feel comfortable there. So I like would go to the pub, like sit with my pint, just kind of like, I was really shy back then. And eventually I just brought my pint down to the musician's table and all the musicians there were all locals. And they told me about the island and they were really, really friendly. And from there they introduced me to their kids because they were all like in their like 30s to 50s. So they had a bunch of kids that were kind of my age. And then I ended up just from there, really loving the place. And so I've been stuck in Inishbofin ever since. I ended up living there for three months. I was only supposed to be there three weeks and I stayed three months. I extended, extended my stay. I ended up working in housekeeping at the hotel on the island because I wanted to stay so badly that someone found me a job. <laughs> and that's how I ended up on Inishbofin. 
was kind of you didn't expect to like end up like loving it that much, but that's just what happened. Oh, exactly. Like I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, I was really like Miss Glamour Puss. Like I loved like. I wanted to live in New York City. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted like the fancy bling bling life. And then something when I moved out to Nishbofen like tapped in me that I like I really loved a simple life where I was like getting to just like work hard and read books and just be by the ocean and just see the same people every day and I realized that small town life or small community life was really for me and it just was it was something I'd never expected to love so much. And it ended up really clicking for me. And my whole life has been different really since. Um, it's a really weird, it's a really weird thing how it happened. I say that I met the love of my life, but it's a place, not a person. <laughs> that's really good. I think that's a really interesting notion. The fact that like you found this love of your life, despite the fact that you've never, you know, you didn't live anywhere else in Ireland. So, you, you know, and you went to like I've never lived on an island, but basically everywhere on the East Coast has that kind of feel, at least for me, you know, from Cork all the way up to Galway and places like that. So I, I'm just really kind of in awe that you were like, yeah, no, oh, so I'm just not? gonna live, I'm just gonna live on an island for uh, for three months. Oh yeah, no, it definitely was a really kind of weird part of my life. Like my friend, my friend Gunner, who went to college with me, he's American as well. Um, he. He was having a crisis of personality, so he signed up to work in a salmon fishing camp in rural Alaska for a summer, the year before I went. And I was like, okay, so is this my eat, pray, love moment? Like, this is this what I need to like feel like a formative, form, fully formed human? And so I just kind of like committed to it because I was like, this is gonna be rough. And I'd had like, I had trouble in college and like what I wanted to do and relationships and being away from home. I was like, you know what? Like might as well overhaul my entire life. And it's mm. something, there's nothing like going to an island where you have no Wi-Fi and you're only seeing the same people every day and you only really have yourself to rely on to really realize yeah. who you are and what your priorities are, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, so that's, that was, I'm trying to think what year that was. That was the summer of 2018. So I would have been 18 years old and I'm 23 now. Um, so it's, so Inishbofen has really been formative to my entire adult personality. So it's very, very funny to think, think back on of how different I was on uh, my first summer and how, how I am going back to visit it every year. So it's like been three years around. Yeah. So this would have been my fourth. So, um, Inishbofen, um, the majority of their, um, working, working year is summers. So I count, people qual qualify years by which, how many summers you've been out. So this okay. summer has been my fourth summer out there. Even though it's technically been three calendar years, I count it as four just because it's been four individual summers. And the summer season is usually from about Easter to Halloween every year. Yeah. So we're getting to the to the, to the latter half of the, the 2021 summer season. Even though the pandemic really changed it a little bit, there still has been people out on the island every summer for the past four years that I've been out. I, I'm after Googling Inish Boffin there in terms of uh, like the etymology of where the name comes from. And it's like Inish Bofina, Island of the White Cow. Yes. Yes. Uh, is there a, like, and that ties into like you were, you were mentioning beforehand about the um, fairy stories and sort of like Irish tradition. Is there a lot of that 
out, like, you know, once you leave the shore of Ireland and go on to a place that's separated by, by the ocean. Like, is there a lot mm -hmm. of um, tradition and storytelling, I guess? Oh, definitely. So the story of um, the White Cow, um, I actually did two years ago a commission for the hotel. Um, they wanted a um, mural of the story of the White Cow. And I used the story as it was inherited by Islanders and kind of the tradition of, of the White Cow to inspire the story. And so what it really <laughs> is, um, is that uh, one day, uh, two, um, father and son were out fishing for mackerel off off of Cleggan, which are off of Cleggan or off the, the northwest coast of Connemara. And they were out until the late evening and they uh, all they had to light their way through a really misty evening was the tiny fire they were keeping to cook their fish as they were catching them. And um, they uh, they were so enveloped in fog that they were they were t terrified that they were never going to find their way back again. And then mm -hmm. the fog kind of cleared to reveal this island with a big white cow and a beautiful young woman standing on the shore. And in, if, in, a, in context of where this is on Inishbafen, the in the story, it's where the North Beach is, which is the very Northwest, really rocky beach on the island. It's very dangerous to land on. And it's right on the edge of Loch, Loch Bofen, which is where the most of the fresh water on the island is retained. Um, but anyway, the um, father and son leapt out of their boat and the, the son runs after the cow and the father runs after the beautiful woman. And the beautiful woman in distress transforms herself into her true form, which is a horrible witch, witch enchantress. And she turns the, the father and son into uh, lumps of rock and the cow disintegrated into seaweed. And then in, in, this, in, this, um, in this episode of Magic, the island was actually tied to its location where it currently is now. Because in tradition of, of Inishbafen, is it actually was an island that would be floating, free floating around the Atlantic, kind of like a little boat. And because <laughs> of this episode, the island was tied to its current location. And that's the story of, of Inishbafen, the Isle of the White Cow. And it actually was um, the first time it was really published was in the um, Sir Oscar Wilde's mother actually um, published a um, collection of fairy stories about uh, from collected from all over Ireland, and in a, the Inish Boffin story actually appeared there. So it's one of the first first examples of really like published Irish folk tales in kind of in, in an English English kind of printed context. And so it's really cool that you have that origin all the way back to that. Um, and it's mm. been a formative part of like I uh, understanding of Irish folk stories for a very long time, which is very cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Are you aware of what the Irish for the Milky Way is, Alyssa? No. So I I, I had a, a hunch about this, so I went on and checked this. So if I if this is massively incorrect, blame folklore.ie. Uh, but it's Bialok Nabo Finna, so the way of the white cow. Um, oh. I didn't know that actually. Yeah, I read it in. I, I'd highly recommend it if you like. If you're interested um, in how kind of the land, uh, the land in Ireland ties into mythology and that kind of thing. Um, Twenty seven words for field by Mancon Magan. And, oh yes, yeah, definitely. I read that one before. Yeah, it's really good. It's wonderful. Yeah, I have not 
had so much of a connection with the Irish language just because Inishbofin actually um, is not in the Gelsoft. And a lot of people misunderstand really? it as, as being. Yeah, so... Um, and people usually actually misunderstand it as being part of the Aran Islands, and it actually is not one of the three islands, because Aran Islands are Inishmore, Inishman, and Inishir. And, and they Island. are... Yeah, and they are very <laughs> South Connemara, very, very South Connemara. Like, islanders that are from the Aran Islands would know islanders from, from Inishbofin, because all of the boatmen and the fishermen would have had intimate relationships with each other, and would have known each other their whole lives, but they're not actually the same people, and they don't speak... And the people on Inishbofin do not historically speak Irish, not since mm. the early 20th century, or 19th century, I mean. Yeah, huh. and, for, and for our listeners just who don't know what a Gaeltacht is, it's a, a region in Ireland which exclusively speaks Irish. It's like a protected language area. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But that is actually so cool what you said about the Milky Way is because um, Anishbalfin is actually one of the dark skies designated areas of Ireland where Ooh. the light pollution is so little that it, it's a place where uh, photographers, particularly of of heavenly bodies and stars, go to visit to take pictures. And they're so breathtaking. Like my first summer out in Inishbofin, we were having a bonfire party on the beach and there was a, a, a meteor shower and everyone just got to look up and you could just see it perfectly clearly. And it is the most miraculous thing in the world. You can see the stars pretty, any, pretty much every day and they're gorgeous. And with the late summers, you would be, you'd still be seeing a little bit of the sun going down, even to late in the evening. There's never true darkness on the island. But even with the moon and the mm. stars, you can still walk on the roads without being in pitch darkness if the cl- night is clear, because the moon and the stars are so bright that you can literally walk, walk with starlight from, from the pub back home. Like I lived about 15, 20 minutes walk um, down a dirt road from the pub when I was first mm. living there. And I didn't need to carry a torch with me because you can just light your or see your way with the starlight. Unless it's of course raining or cloudy or something, then you need to light your way. But it was a it's pretty pretty interesting because there's not many places in the world that you can say you can do that anymore. Yeah. Like I don't know what it's like in Cork with you, Ali, but there's definitely no chance of uh looking up and seeing the stars anywhere in Dublin. Yeah, almost not, not, really, not really in Cork either and like maybe a few like in rural areas like West Cork, but not really. Yeah, I had that in Galway, where I went to... Do you know Glinsk in Galway, Alyssa? I don't, no. Oh, it's it's a really... Uh, kind of like on the south coast of Galway, near like near the beach. Near enough, we, we rented a cottage there, but it was, it was really, really lovely, like you say, with the, um, you know, with the low light pollution. But I can only imagine what it's like out on an island. Oh, most definitely. Like you can't, you can't really beat it. It's really indescribable. It's one of those those things that you really can't like. And I, I've been, I've been trying to photograph the moon out there recently in the last couple of years. But sometimes you really just have to accept defeat and realize that you can only, only really describe it to people to so much accuracy, and that yeah. some place, yeah. some some sites and some experiences really just can't be translated in a way that can be carried away and communicated to other people. And in Ashbafen, and a lot of the, I feel a lot of times it's really hard to explain to someone unless they've seen it. However, I feel like this is a good point to bring up um, your art in particular, um, which I have I, I purchased some of it. It's really really good. Um, perhaps you'd like to talk about that. Oh yes, thank you so much. By the way, yeah, I did um, during lockdown. I uh, started a, an art project called Inish America because. Um, 
there's a joke on on the island that um, I'm Inish American. I'm from an island that's immediately <laughs> equidistant between between Ireland or Inish Boffin and America, because I've gotten so entrenched in the community in Inish Boffin that um, I'm just more more Inish Boffin than I am American anymore. And um, I was really heartsick to have not be able to go to the island because um, see, there's a, a huge vulnerable community of older people on the island. And so during the pandemic, they were very, very careful on who they let in and out. And um, during the winter time, particularly when COVID was getting worse, I was very conscious of the fact that I was an outsider and that no matter how much I wanted to be there, if I really did love the island, I wouldn't I wouldn't go until it was safe. Yeah. So I uh, what I did as a tribute to to and a really an expression of how I felt about the island is I took all my photography that I had taken over the last um, three years. And I started doing photo edits of like the fantastical image that I have of the island in my head. Because I really, like, as, no matter how many times I go back, I still romanticize it. And I still, you know, no matter how much how much I've seen how normal life is really harsh out there sometimes, I have a very, I have a love for the island that is very much sometimes um, a little bit saccharine, a little bit uh, sentimental. And so that's what my my series of art was called. And the website is still up. I'm actually no longer selling them online, but um, because I I sent the last of my prints to the museum on on Inishbofen, and they're being sold actually to support the building of a new museum on the island. Because Marie Coyne, who runs the Heritage Museum on the island, takes care of me when I'm in there, and she's really was really so instrumental in writing my dissertation about the history of the island that I. Uh, wanted to support her project and she spent most of the lockdown paying the wages of islanders so they could do things like um, renovate the cemetery or paint the signal towers or install new benches or improve the school they did an entire um, reconstruction of the church on Inishbofen that was built originally in 1912 and so they redid a lot of that inside and so I wanted my art to really help support that financially and so I was able to raise a little bit of money for her project which was really exciting and it was really cool because it was the first time I'd ever actually published my art in any kind of capacity um, so it was fun getting my passions and what I wanted to support out of the community because the community supports me so much so I wanted to give back in some kind of way hmm. yeah <laughs> I, I, I really like the um, Tower of Moon now in the context of like learning how like clear it is to see the heavenly bodies and stuff i think tower moon takes on like a bit more relevance then especially because you have you have it so large behind the tower oh exactly exactly and like my my most vivid images of the island because my uh, my bedroom window the first summer i lived there uh you could always see because during that the time of the year that i would have been living there the moon would have risen right about there so i have the i have the recurring image in my head of this big beautiful moon rising up behind the tower and the mountains there. And so I most definitely, definitely wanted to capture that for people that hadn't visited there. Um, yeah, no, Tower Moon is definitely the one that the islanders themselves actually like the best as well, because they, they, they a lot of, actually, the, wo um, the woman who takes care of me on the island, she's, I call her my Irish mom, and she just says, <laughs> she calls me her daughter from America, and she says, if I have to see another fucking picture of that tower, because of course, the uh, tourists are always taking pictures of it and always buying pictures of it and everything. But she's like, okay, that's a really cool, interesting way to interpret it. Because that tower is the first thing you see when the ferry arrives on the island. 
so it's kind of iconic image. It would be nearly like the Statue of Liberty for the United States. But at the same time, mm. the Islanders have seen so many artistic renderings of it. They're like, ah, oh, like it's just another picture of the tower. Like, but yeah. the the moon, the moon, the Islanders actually really liked because it was kind of fantastical and something a different, really different perspective, which I was really excited and energized really to bring there because I know that like I'm an I'm an outsider, so it's really really important to me when I get I get approval from locals because their opinions mean a lot to me and like I'm I'm obviously coming from a really outside context whenever I do anything related to Inishbofen. Like I even thought about it when you guys asked me to talk about Boffin on this podcast. I was like, ah, like should I be the one talking about Boffin? Like am I am I the self-elected ambassador for the culture and like who they who they are as people? And I was like, no, I'm just passionate about it and I can talk about it and then people can people can refute what I say afterwards and we can all laugh about it in the pub. Yeah, that's the beauty of this show. You don't have to be an expert. You just gotta, you know, know enough to talk about it, really. Be passionate about be it. Be passionate. Yeah, be passionate about it. Oh, most definitely. But also, I'm very aware, like, like Inishbofen is such a small place, and the culture is something that is, like, they have to work really, really hard to maintain. And making sure I'm accurate and respectful of the people, because it's it's living people that, especially when I was writing my dissertation, it's living people and or or memories of family members of people who are still living. Uh, mm. that I was writing about and so you have to really be conscientious of um, what you write about because like there was a woman there was an American woman actually that came to live in Anishbafen in the late 60s and early 70s and she wrote a, like a, she changed all the names but she wrote like a tell-all semi only semi-fictionalized version of people's lives out there and she was really mm. disrespectful and really kind of broached a lot of really intimate problems that people were dealing with in their daily lives and these, these islanders are so, so welcoming and they'll take care of people who are coming to stay there. So you have to really be conscious that people are bringing you into their lives, into a very, very isolated community that takes care of each other and that just kind of has to, has to deal with the fact that people know a lot about them and that they can't always control what people are saying. But you still should be respectful. And so I'm always, always making sure I'm conscientious about, you know, making sure people, people still have a sense of privacy and a sense of like, respect when I'm still writing about them like no matter how interesting yeah. something could be it's important because these people are my friends and I will and and now I consider some of them family that I will know for the rest mm. of my life or the rest of their lives you know so it's 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 a, it's an interesting thing that you don't really have to consider too much anymore in the age of the internet where everyone knows everyone's business and no one's really has any privacy anymore often people have continued to live that way because they like that degree of isolation I think yeah, I think that's a really, uh, you know, all these kinds of islands like uh, Inishbofin and um, the Aran Islands, maybe things like that, or even like the Blasket Islands down towards Cork and Kerry, um, you know, they kind of exemplify the uh, really old Irish notion of community where everyone, be, you know, kind of what the Statue of Liberty is meant to symbolize, you know, where anyone can come in and yeah, they're like, I mean, you, you experienced that firsthand, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Yeah, like it's very welcoming. It's very, very welcoming. Um, but you also at the same time have to have a level of respect. Like I'm thinking I'm only like I've been friends with a lot of people out there for years. But it's only in the last like year and a half or two, particularly with the pandemic, that I feel like people realize that I'm there to stay. Because places like Inishbofen, they really enchant people. But then like someone will come in only to work for one or two summers and then they'll never see them again. And so... Islanders are kind of wary of like, okay, like, yeah, this person is really lovely and nice and we'll be very welcoming of them. But like, 
we won't get emotionally invested in them staying because a lot of people aren't aren't tough enough or a lot of invested enough to stay out on the islands and live an island life for their whole lives or for many years continuously. So it's it's really interesting seeing how people some people that are seem kind of wary of me when I first moved there are really kind of letting their guards down and being really so welcoming and I'm getting to have richer relationships with them. Because they realize that, oh, this girl's never never going away. So we can finally like we either have to deal with her being loud and obnoxious and American, or they're starting to realize that I'm really invested in the community. So I'm starting to become a part of them, which is really lovely. And it's something that's really important to me. But it's taken a lot of work, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how to like phrase this in a like an elegant segue kind of way. But you mentioned before that you um, did your dissertation on the history of Inishbofin. What was that like doing research? In, you know, because you've mentioned as well you need to have a healthy, respectful relationship with the islanders um, and that you were helped out by the lady who runs the museum. Like, what was that like actually doing a project on the history of the place you lived? Yeah, so I actually picked the lens from which I approached the topic very specifically. So what I did was I did the history of Inishbofin, or it was um, Inishbofin Life of an Island. And I evaluated the history of the island based on how it was inherited by the islanders through like oral history, but also how it was presented to the outside world. So a lot of my focus was actually how things were published to present to tourists, as I myself was a tourist out and an outsider. So a lot of it was, a, a, I picked it so I could, first of all, avoid kind of, feel like I'm, I was digging through the personal lives of people that I still knew, but also at the same time, Given it was a valuable perspective I could offer of like how um, how was I absorbing the history of this island? How do myself as an outsider feel like it was presented to me and presented to other people? Um, how can I critically evaluate them? Um, but at the same time, people were so lovely and welcoming and giving me information. Like I um, to finish my dissertation, I decided to live on the island for this winter, and um, everything is closed on the island except for one pub in the shop from about November to Easter. And so I committed to a, a winter out there where the, the electricity can go down, the Wi-Fi can go down. If you don't have a car, which I didn't, you have to walk through the freezing rain and wind if you want to get anywhere. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live a, live a real island winter. I lived in a tiny little cottage um, with my little turf fire. And I would walk every day to um, this uh, this woman that I, I, I know very well. Her name is Anne Prendergast. Uh, she has four sons that are around my age. And she I'm really good friends with them. So she kind of took me in for the winter. I'd go and sit on her, sit on her, or sit in her kitchen with a cup of tea. And she would just talk about growing up with the tourist industry flourishing on, on the island because she would have had her first job in the first hotel in the 60s and 70s on the island. And so she would have grown up with the first tourists coming to the island. And so all I would all I would be doing is sitting and collecting her stories with her permission, of course. She knew that's what, what I was doing. <laughs> we were, of course, having a social call because I really like her anyway. So we were just kind of sitting, having conversations. But I would every once in a while jot down a note of like, OK, it's like this. This is when Sylvia Plath visited or the first time the Irish rugby, like Rala, Patty Riley, the Irish kit man, has been coming to Enishbofen for 45 years. And he's a good friend of all the people of the island. So all of the rugby players for the Irish team have come to visit. Like Kean Healy had his wedding, um, wedding reception on the island. So like people from all over Ireland are were slowly over the last decades finding out the island. 
And so I got to hear a lot of those stories that aren't haven't been written down before from her and a few of the older other older people on the island. But the problem is, is this this year, obviously, we're dealing with COVID and no one on the island was vaccinated until early spring. And so there are some mm-hmm. individuals that are pushing nearly 100 years old in the island. But of course, I couldn't safely be in contact with them to interview them, unfortunately. So I really kind of had to ch- take a very different approach to my research. But it ended up just being lovely because it was people that I, I was friends with that I wanted to know more about their lives. And I got to just talk to them as friends and they were volunteering information to me. It wasn't like I had to just scour through a library of diaries or things that weren't electively given to me. This was all stories that I was I was blessed with just because people, people care about me and know I care about them. And so it was a real beautiful passion project that I got to somehow turn into a degree, which was great. But like, hold on now. Oh. You said Sylvia Plath came to Inishbofin? Yeah, she that did was like When was she this? Um, okay, I'm trying to think what, what year exactly. Um, but she, so she was married to Ted Hughes at the time. And um, now um, there, the poet laureate for Ireland, Richard Murphy, he, um, he would have been an Anglo-Irish poet. He, um, he had a home house in Mayo. And he he re, uh, repurposed a Galway hooker called the Ave Maria, and he was the first person to bring tourists to the island. And so, because he was very much involved in the London literary scene, he invited Ted Hughes to Inishbofin, which then there, then Sylvia Plath, who would have been married to him at the time, came to visit. And so oh. they came over on his on his Galway hooker, and they stayed in the um, guest house, which is now the Inishbofin House Hotel, um, and stayed for. A good few weeks, actually. And um, Sylvia Plath was planning before her death to come revisit it again because um, Margaret Day, who who just recently passed away in the last year, actually, at 99 years old, she would have been Mm -hmm. the hotel keeper at the time. And she had such beautiful tulips that Sylvia Plath wanted to come back and take bulbs from the tulips back to England with her. And so Sylvia Plath wrote about, wrote about a little bit about Inish Bafan. She, uh, she would have, it would have been her one of her last um, last trips abroad, and I think it was her last holiday before her death. So it's very interesting that that was one of the places that she had visited and thought about um, as in in the in the final few few years of her life, which is so when interesting you, to me. When you say wrote, do you mean made it into her poetry or just like in a diary? It's mostly diary. See, the thing is, is because it was so late in her life, they don't know what all was was going to come out of her experience there was there was a lot of photography as well that she had she had taken um it's not as 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 you can see like Inishbofin is kind of a niche topic so I've had to very individually find out the research and the people on Inishbofin didn't like her or or she they liked her all right but they didn't like her husband Ted Hughes very much and so they didn't really think about them very very long and hard so like the people the the information just isn't there to know exactly how much the island really touched her. The only the only thing that I know for sure is because I've actually I've I heard it from her from Margaret Day's grandsons that own the hostel where I was working that um she did want to come back and and uh, see the flowers on the island and visit again maybe without Ted Hughes because it was they were obviously their relationship was really on the rocks at the time so she kind of felt this serenity on the island which was then ruined by her very cantankerous cantankerous 
husband. So it's a very interesting thing that would be it'd be lovely to uncover more about it, but you just don't you can't really find out so much about it. No, I'm trying to think. A lot of writers have visited Inishbofen. Seamus Heaney, um, his his poem "Seeing Things" is about Inishbofen, a visit when he was a very young boy. Um, Richard Murphy again, poet laureate. He would have he would have been less he would be less famous now to our generation, but he would be would have been a literary critic as well that would have would have known a lot of the London London contemporaries to like Ted Hughes or Sylvia Plath any of those writers at the time. So a lot of lot of very interesting people have, have visited Inishbofen and thought about Inishbofen. Um, trying to think, what's his name? Oh, Colin Farrell has visited. Um, Bill Murray has gone. A bunch of interest, really, it's really funny that people, Will Farrell, Will Farrell actually talked about Inishbofen on the Jimmy Kimmel show a few years ago. Oh. Of his visit to Inishbofen. Um, it's a really funny, it's a really funny thing that the because celebrities will come and visit because it's a place in the middle of nowhere. It's a place between places. So if you are a famous, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Day-Lewis used to summer on Inishbofen. Like people that would be considered very interesting, very influential in the artistic and cinematic world would come to visit just because it's a, so isolated that you can have a sense of serenity and a, people on Inishbofen don't care who you are. You land on the pier and you're the same as anyone else kind of thing. So it's a very interesting place that can kind of create a sense of anonymity or privacy for people it's mad though like the just to consider that um all of these sort of luminaries in their field well i mean like fuck ted hughes but um <laughs> yeah this is a this is a ted hughes hate podcast um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like that they, they, they've all been there you know because it's only really the sort of overly commercialized places in dublin where you see celebrities show up or Actually, there was a place near enough to where I'm from in Westmead. Um, there's a restaurant there called Weir's, and Johnny Depp was just randomly there once. Um, like, it's just mad. But it, it's mad to consider that they were all at Inishbofen. Um, especially poets now, because, that, like, the, you know, as an English student, I have to be interested in poets. <laughs> oh, definitely. Most definitely. I'm yeah. trying to... I'm trying to find like an actual, um, like physical copy to read of seeing things because I want to see what Seamus Heaney wrote about Inishbofen. Oh, can... I can. I have it here. Oh, do you? Yeah, I can. I can read it for you. Would you mind? Uh, no worries at all. I like reading aloud. I was that kid in school that loved reading aloud. All right, let me just pull it up here. I have. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Let's give it a second to load. It's on one of the pages of my pages of my paper. Okay. Seeing Things by Seamus Heaney. Inishbofen on a Sunday morning. Sunlight, turf smoke, seagulls, boat slip, diesel. One by one we were handed down into a boat that dipped and chilly shallied. Scarcely every time. We sat tight on short cross benches in nervous twos and threes. Obedient, newly close, nobody speaking, except the boatmen, as the gull whales sank, and seemed they might ship water any minute. The sea was very calm, but even so, when the engine kicked and our ferryman swayed for balance, grabbed for the tiller, I panicked at the quick response and heft of the craft itself. What guaranteed us that fluency and buoyancy and swim kept me in agony all the time. 
As we went sailing evenly across the deep, still, seeable down into water, it was as if I looked from another boat, sailing through air, far up, and could see how openly we fared in the light of morning and loved in vain our bare, bowed, numbered heads. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. And it would have been written when Seamus Heaney, or written about a time when Seamus Heaney was only about eight or nine when he would have visited. So this is such a clear image to him that he, he kept it from his being a small child. And uh, the thing I love about it is that they, like, he's writing so beautifully and it's like, oh, our ferrymen. And because I've gone through and interviewed fam their family members at the time, I know which men they were and how, uh, mm. how, how really, um, oh God, um, irreverent these people are. Like the, the lads in the boat are very funny. So like I was actually in there two weeks ago and it just, you have to have sense of humor if you're doing something in kind of cycles all day long, like you're doing a run back and forth on the ferry. And um, I got on the boat First. and I heard over the loudspeaker was like, hello, if uh, someone has a uh, blue and blue suitcase with brown trim, it is left on the pier. Can you please get it off the pier? And it's my, it was my suitcase. So I ran in a panic up the stairs <laughs> and all the lads were standing waiting because they knew it was my suitcase. So they were just laughing their holes off thinking that I was going to have my have my suitcase left on the island. And they thought it was the <laughs> most hilarious thing ever. And so it's really funny hearing Seamus Heaney write so seriously about these boatmen because they're my friend, like they're my friends or like the people that would have been just like, these would have, like my friends now are probably their grandsons or great grandsons. And they yeah. still have the same sense of humor and they would not take themselves so seriously, which is so very funny to me. Um, it's, it's really great. Uh, because I've actually, in the last few years, gotten to gotten to meet some of the last of the old classic classic boatmen that would have been the people to take people like Seamus Heaney and others over to Nishbafen when it was really like a totally different time. And so it's just very funny getting and lovely getting to know that I'm reading poetry about people that I've I've met and have sat and had pints with. And all the old old lads are really lovely to me on the islands. Like they'll sit they'll sit and talk to me like just buy me a pint and then just just you know like spin yarns for me for hours and it's the greatest thing in the world and i can't and there's not a lot of places in the world that you can get that anymore so it's really fun <laughs> yeah i'm actually doing i think the maths is correct now if you say shamasini was about eight or nine when he went to inishbofen um yeah the trip that he goes to the collection that that's from i think the collection is also called seeing things was published in 1991 so if he wrote that around the time it was published, he would have been like just over 50 and the memory of going to Inishbofen stayed with him that long. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those things like the Inishbofen Harbor is one of the most beautiful and also uh, safest natural harbors in the world. And so I'm really not surprised that he's it's such an, a vivid image. The thing is that when Seamus Heaney would have been traveling over he would have had to, um, the boat, the pier wouldn't have been deep water enough at the time for a boat to land. So you would have to come in on a boat, which would have been a Galway hooker. And then everyone had to jump out of the boat into smaller boats and be rowed into shore, which for people who aren't comfortable on boats, which most people who visited Inishbofen weren't, and especially if you didn't know how to swim, that would have been a very stressful, very kind of scary thing for a small child to have been like tossed into another little dinghy and then brought yes. her a and brought into shore. 
so it is probably such a it was probably such a vivid image for him. The um the engine the engine ferry and the deep water ferry didn't didn't come in until very very recently, like in the 1980s. So mm. it's uh it's it's very it would it would have been a very very much some some like a, a an experience that would have been stuck in time, like nearly like would have felt like you're going on like a pirate ship as a child kind of thing with the big red sails and the and the the old men in their padded caps with their big their big beards and everything. I just couldn't imagine it. That's so cool though. The... <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's very cool. Oh, it's wonderful. Like the Anne Prendergast who was saying who uh, did a lot of my interviews for me. Her she, her married name would have been O'Hall or her sorry her maiden name would have been O'Halloran. So she would be directly descended from the family who owns that has had owned the fairies for so very long. Mm. So she she got to tell me the stories of her brothers working on the fairies and her her growing up as a child just being like knowing that her 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 dad and her uncles were all were all hauling hauling boats back and forth from Buffin and that was just the life she grew up with. And it's so different from anything any of us could imagine. Yeah, you're none of, none of our episodes have ever made me like yearn. But you're making you're making me yearn to just like drop everything and live on an island. You know what I mean? Oh, most definitely. I tell people all that all the time. I was actually tweeting uh, Bobby Arlo, uh, but she's like the R and B, like the Irish R and B. She's from Kildare, isn't she? She's a, a, a Irish singer, Bobby Arlo. And she was like, yeah, yeah. like, I'm moving away to Ackle or something. I'm like, no, but you can move to Bob with me. So me and you can live with me and Bobby, and we're gonna we're gonna live on this oven. It's me, great. Uh, no, it's gonna be a gonna be a wonderful time. Uh, everyone should everyone should come visit Inish Buffin. That's my dream is to bring everyone from Irish Twitter onto Inish Buffin. That's my uh, oh, that's God. my brand, and the whole reason I'm actually on this podcast today, I'd have to say, is that I just tweet endlessly about Inish Buffin. Yeah, you're you're basically like a brand ambassador to the world at large for Inish Buffin because I had <laughs> never I had never heard of this island until like we became mutuals on Twitter and just seeing you tweet about it constantly. Oh, exactly. Well, it's because in the pandemic too, I was I wanted to visit so badly, and so I knew I was going for Christmas. So I would just tweet every few days a countdown of how many days till I got to go back to Nishbaffin. <laughs> and so it was like I miss Nishbaffin. I'm gonna make it everyone else's fucking problem. And <laughs> it's 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 just it's so fun. And I'm actually slowly getting to bring people out there to visit, which is so cool. I'm trying to think who was out there the other day. Um, Eve Byrne. She's also on Twitter. I missed her. She was, but her, her and her boyfriend came out to visit. A bunch of people from Twitter are starting to come and realize that Boston is a place to, place to visit. And so I'm hoping next summer when things open up again, like we need to just have an Irish Twitter fest on Boston. It'd be great. That would be. Oh my god. It would be great. <laughs> I can imagine a bit chaotic though. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, you know, like what stays on the island stays on the island. Like. Hmm. I mean, based on your description, it sounds like an absolute, like, it just sounds like an absolutely beautiful place. Like, from your description, even from, like, Heaney's poem, like, Heaney's obviously a brilliant poem, but, like, um, I don't know, it just, I hadn't heard of it before this episode, but, like, again, like, Nigel, I just, I feel like I really want to visit it at some point. Oh, you most definitely should. And, you know, it is beautiful, but I'm, the people, are really, really persevering through a lot of pressures to live there. And that's something I really want to emphasize for sure, is that it is beautiful. Oh, of course, yeah. like, Like, especially like, I mean, I'm 23 and like a lot of the young people I really care about are like the the 
young women particularly don't have a lot of opportunities for jobs. So a lot of them have moved away or they'll come in and work for the summer and then leave again in the winter to work. And the young mm -hmm. lads really have fishing, farming or construction to work in the wintertime. Beyond that, there's really not a lot to do. And so it's something I've had to think about a lot about because I always say I'm going to move to Nishbapham and I'm going to move to Nishbapham. But um, the government is going to have to do a lot to make sure that these places are really viable places to live. And there's they're doing a lot more. Like there's there's a there's been recently in the last couple of years um, discussions about creating an island council or like making making the the islands offshore islands. It's a whole it's a whole department in government because putting it in together with the Gale Talk doesn't really work. First of all, most of the islands aren't actually Gale Talks anymore, and second of all, they are so different from mainland Gale Talks in their needs that they're not really um, their needs aren't really being addressed. Yeah. And it's something that's really interesting is actually Eamon Ryan goes on oh. his holidays every year to Nishbafen and he sees, sees the decline and sees the struggles that these people are going through and then he's actually never appealed in any capacity to government to fund any kind of improvements to he the says, island. You know, he says, you know what, I'm going to do nothing. As head of the Green Party, I'm going to do nothing about this. Exactly. And um, oh, rural, rural Ireland, particularly the islands, are the future of sustainable living and the future of facing the climate crisis because they are dealing with it on a daily basis. And so it's really interesting seeing Eamon Ryan, his actual, his holiday cards this year, like for Christmas, had Inish, a painting of Inishbofin on them. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, interesting, sir, that you're going to um, visit the island, extract extract some kind of joy and from, that, from it, and then also like send out all of your holiday cards, all your acquaintances or even political allies with Boffin on the cover, but he's never even thought to help fix the broken pier that was taken out in a hurricane in 2011. That if improved, or the airstrip that um, costs $3.2 million and hasn't been hasn't been touched in over five years. There's so many things about the island or the, uh, their, their appeal to install a secondary school so students don't have to go to the mainland and live away from home for secondary school. The fact that there's people in government that come visit this place and they don't advocate for it at all is really frustrating. And it's something that has driven me to get, I want to get a rural development master's in NUIG next year, because I want, that's what I want to do is want to start appealing for places like this. Islanders have been doing it themselves for a very, very long time. And I'm definitely not mm -hmm. going to be the solution to that problem. Most definitely not. But I would like to be if, if at all helpful um, because it is extremely frustrating to see that people use it as a tourist tourist destination, but also don't think about the practical practical things about having a hundred Yeah, exactly. A community that really does support this this tourism, you know? Yeah, it's not it's not exactly like one to one with um what you're describing the people on Inishbofin dealing with, but uh, an awful lot of the islands are literally just, oh these look pretty, oh we'll do whatever. You know, like yeah. I'm thinking of like Skellig Michel when they were um, filming Star Wars on it, and they just like wrecked the place, um, and, and no one cared because it's not really covered under any specific body by the government. They were like, "Well, Disney's yeah. giving us loads of money." Oh, <laughs> oh no, it's actually it's yeah, no, and it's interesting to see that even islands between each other actually don't have a lot of a lot of um, solidarity. I went actually, I've never been to another island before until this summer and I went to Inishmore. I had my Inishbofin jumper on and someone from Inishmore walked up to me and was like, don't you think Inishbofin's a little bleak? I was like, what? 
just because I don't see it as, as that. And they were like, oh yeah, no, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit run down and the people there seem so miserable. But I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Inish Moore is receiving all of the Gaeltuck funds and then they are so, so the pinnacle of Galway City Tourism and Galway City Council or Galway Council, count, even County Council is pumping so much money into the community and I'm really glad for it. I don't think they should be denied that at all. Yeah, yeah. If that if that was matched for other places like Bothan or Tory Island in Donegal or um, like installing, like I know Blasket Islands are actually uninhabited now, but visitors to Blas the Blaskets, um, or in a sheer, or there's place, there's plenty of places that could do with infrastructure investment, and they just don't get it. And it was just so interesting seeing that that Inish, Inishmore Islanders saw saw it as a choice made by Boston people. And so it's really interesting that like even between islands, there doesn't seem to be a ton of solidarity. But at the same time, at the uh, the islands do are very much interconnected. Like every year, there's a in a or there's an yeah. all islands football football. Um, championship which is really cool so every oh. every year a different island hosts the football um Inishbofin won a few years ago the last one that was played was on Inishmore actually um I think Ackle won um but they all the islands will visit each other or there's regattas oh. they do together and so I think now that the pandemic is kind of slowing down a little bit I think next summer islanders have really started to appreciate their identities a little bit more this last summer was with during the lockdown it was the first time that the islands had only had islanders on it for the summer in their in their living memory so i think it really led a lot of people to appreciate and really more deeply want to be invested in the place they're from i can see that a lot with my friends a lot of my friends moved back home during the pandemic or like i'm going to build build onto my house i'm going to spend time with my friends i haven't lived on my on this island since i was a child and so that's going to be something interesting to see if that's a renewed sense of identity that they're going to be feeling now that things are going to be opening up again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned uh, kind of at the start, this is that you wanted to touch on. So I'd, li I'd like to, um, you know, give you the, the opportunity to talk on it before we finish up. It, you know, you were talking about the whole um, being an Irish American thing and how that feeds into tourism because, you, you know, you're not from Ireland, you're, you're Inish American, like you say, but, um, you know, you said you wanted to touch on that. Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, the, the, like my art, art account is called Inish America or whatever. Um, and so like, I would have probably grown up with like some kind of idea that I'm ethnically Irish, if you consider where, however, whatever term you use for that. Like I did my ancestry for, or my ancestry thing for my mom for Mother's Day a few years ago. And I'm like, I'm like 55% Irish and like 45% Scottish or something like that. But I don't have living Irish or any living memory of Irish family members. So I never mm -hmm. would have been deeply connected to an Irish Americanness in a lot of ways a lot of Americans are. Like it's a very real, a real community and a real culture that is like Irish Americans. I mean, if you consider the Irish diaspora, Irish, Irish or multinational Irish identities are probably the greatest demographic of at least European descended people in the world. Like you have yes. like people that, that are so, because you have, you have Australian Irish people, you have Amer Canadian Irish people, you even have Arg Argentinian Irish people, you have Irish people have made it to every single country in the world and their, their cultural influence made it to everywhere in the world. But that's something that was interesting to me that I came up, 
I was very grateful to become aware of very early when I started studying Irish history because my degree is in history and I decided my focus would be in Irish history. But as a person who didn't grow up in Ireland, I had to have that awareness going in. And like my professor who toured me around Ireland the first time I visited, he is Irish. He grew up in Slane in Meath. And so he, he was an Irish person showing this huge group of Americans around and he's like, okay, so I'm going to show you the ropes of like how not to embarrass yourself in front of Irish people because <laughs> Irish Americans are notorious for being so boisterous and really just projecting their preconceived stereotypes onto Irish people. And so I was really very lucky that from the get-go, from the moment I stepped foot on Irish soil, I already had an awareness that Irish Americans can really misinterpret Irish culture and really sometimes ruin it for themselves and also just really be mm. a, an oppressive oppressive not oppressive but like a really kind of irritant or um, really kind of a disruption to Irish culture and that's part of what my dissertation was about actually was how nearly tourism Americanizes Irish culture like what is retained from Irish culture does get Americanized and I think about it a lot with um, Inish Boffin's relationship to tra traditional music is that traditional music on Boffin means something so different to me now than what I would have imagined traditional music having heard it as a kid or heard it like heard an idea of like Celtic music like I grew up with Celtic women or like Celtic thunder or like all of these tours or river dance or all of these ideas of what Americans think that Amer or Irish dance and music is about but then you come to Boffin which doesn't really receive a lot of American tourism and the songs that are retained and the character of how music is played is so very different from what you'd experience in Dublin or even Galway City even though Galway City and Dublin both have that both have gems of places to listen to traditional music that has not changed in decades. But still, it's something to be aware of and something that's so interesting. And I'm really glad I'm conscious of it. And it's it's something I think about and it, it really evolves for me every time, every time I consider my Irishness. Because I realize that even though I'm actually like, even though my DNA might be from Irish people, my culture growing up wasn't Irish. But I could see because I've been living mm, here yeah, by the end of, of my life, I would be considered an Irish person. My adult life has been in Ireland, and so I can see each year by year, I become more Irish. But it's not because I have, it's it's in the same way that people who are first or second generation immigrants here, which I guess I'm gonna be the first generation immigrant, but people coming from the, the West Indies or from anywhere, like people, a lot of Polish people come to Ireland or whatever, those people, by the end of their lives are also going to be Irish people. And it, it might not be by the end of their lives. It could be five, ten years when they feel that they are more Irish than they are from wherever they're from. And so it's really interesting for me to think about what Irishness means to me and what it means to other people. And it's something that's going to change a lot in the next few decades. I can see for Irish policy, like there's definitely going to be so many people from all over the world that are living in Ireland that are going to be considered Irish people. You don't have to be born in Tipperary to be an Irish person. But you at the same time have to understand that American, Irish Americans really do project a lot of lot of their own values and a lot of their own own preconceived ideas onto onto Irishness. And so it's something that's yeah. really interesting for me to watch every time I'm on Irish Twitter. And I, I, I'm very lucky that I have very lovely friends who are like, oh my God, Alyssa, like whenever we're complaining about Irish Americans, we're not talking about you. I do appreciate that to an extent, but I'm also, I'm like, well, what, what, what benefit have I gotten from having very patient Irish people tell me from the very beginning what is considered to be kind of annoying or kind of incorrect when it comes to Irishness? 
it's not everyone gets that education so it's something that i do have a little bit to think a lot to think about of like people on tiktok being like oh i'm irish american and then everyone jumps down their throats because they're not irish or they they're saying a lot of wrong things and i'm like but has there been anyone to educate them as well it's, yeah. it's an interesting it's an interesting debate to follow for sure yeah see i feel like i agree with you as well that like you know like we all know that sometimes irish americans will make like a tiktok or something or they'll say something and like i don't know maybe it, maybe the video is a bit cringy or something and maybe they say a few wrong things but it's generally speaking pretty harmless and i feel like because like you know irish people like we could be like pretty protective of our culture people instantly kind of like you know like kind of dogpile on them and i don't really think that's constructive either i think it's um like i feel like if they say like something inaccurate like i think it'd be better to just correct them and educate them and if they haven't like you know and you still don't like the video just kind of like move on Oh, exactly. Yeah. And but I think it's a, it is something that's important, too, though, because I, I did an Irish studies class and it was kind of talking about Irishness. And it has been kind of a condition of Irish culture of a identity crisis a little bit because because Ireland is a place that deals with like a post-colonial. I mean, even now, looking like how to how to Northern Irish people or people in the north of Ireland, depending on how you want to say it, um, define themselves as Irish or not is a constant issue in itself. So it's like, how do we define Irishness and how do we, how how are we going to be progressive in the future to fit more people in that mold, but also at the same time retain Irish culture? Because, because Irish culture was under siege for so many hundreds of years, it is very important to, to maintain music and like family genealogy history and like land ownership for like for people like actual irish people people retaining their like family farms and especially in rural ireland that's really important like making sure that people have job opportunities so people who have for many generations lived in a place can continue afford affording to live in that place that kind of stuff is very important but also being welcoming to a globalized world where we're going to have people that are like nigerian irish or um, Yugoslavian Irish, or you know, like people have been coming from everywhere, Brazilian Irish. So so many people from Brazil that are going to that know that no more Irish, more of an Irish life than they ever would would of of a South American context. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And I don't think I'm the authority on that, but it's something that's very interesting for me to watch for sure, and something yeah. I'm invested in. As Irish people, I think as well seeing how american specifically like hollywood perceives ireland is infuriating but also like i find it a bit interesting mm. at, you know at times because y you know like kind of the the stereotype of ireland uh you know it's like the lucky charms leprechaun or, or fiddly d um that kind of thing and that very like, you know, old-fashioned kind of yeah and that stems from um the film darby o'gill and the little people about uh, which has leprechauns and that uh, portrayal of Ireland and so you see you know you see all these people and they're doing really bad Irish accents and you've got you know <laughs> Darby O'Gill and the little people you've got the quiet man um, all this stuff and then like I, you know like you've mentioned Irish Twitter but uh, you know it was a really unifying uh, moment when we all ganged up to hate on the accents in Wild Mountain Time which oh, Jesus is based off of a play which is set uh, in the town that I was born in, 
uh, Mullingar, and none of them sound like me. Like, do any of their accents sound like me? <laughs> no. No, it's it's so strange to consider because obviously everywhere you go, you're going to have regionalized accents, but none of the popular conception of what an Irish accent is. No one speaks like that here in Ireland. No, exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't have met. I wouldn't. I was so shocked when I came to Ireland, and none of my like I saw it wasn't it wasn't anything at Mile Mountain Time. But the what is it called? What was it called? Leap year. Oh my Leap god. Leap year. Oh. Which is so funny because actually a man from Inish Bafan is on the soundtrack. You know the scene, I don't know if you know the scene, but when she's trying to call America on the one payphone in the pub and she knocks out the electricity, Desi yes. O'Halloran, who is a very, is, is, was a lovely, uh, actually recently deceased trad musician from Inish Bafan, is playing in the background over the radio. When <gasps> that, it's, so that would have been hey, my first time hearing about Inish Bafin, which is so funny because it's such a terrible film. Like, I really like um, uh, oh, Matthew yeah, Wood. He's so good looking, but he is not Irish person. He should never have played an Irish person. Yeah. And uh, so that, it was so funny that that would have been my first, even though I hadn't known it at the time, exposure to Inish Bafin, even though it's just a terrible representation of Irish culture in general. Although... Uh, what I always find funny about, about Leap Year is that, uh, like, I haven't seen it, full disclosure. But the way they act like, um, first of all, the implausible geography, the part where she walks to a place which in real life is like, like hundreds of miles away or something. And it's also an island, but she walks there in like 10 minutes. And um, also the way they portray Dingle as like this really like complete rural like backwater where like you can't even really like charge your phone or anything. I'm just like, bestie, that's, that's not what it's like. No, I know that that movie is so funny. It's it's so it's, weird. It's how hilarious. Much, it's so weird how much it connects my life to how Ireland is, though, because actually Amy Adams went to my secondary school, so there's this weird shrine of her in my school. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's so funny. Was that would have been my first like? Because I never watched P.S. I Love You or whatever, so that was the only time I'd ever seen like mm -hmm. a movie about Ireland before I moved here. Fair enough, fair enough. And I was like, it's it's so funny looking back at it now because I was like, okay, Inish Boffin was in that, like Amy Adams went to my school. Um, Desi O'Halloran was playing in the background. And it's just, it's just so funny because it's terrible. And I'm really glad I saw it because it's really funny to think about. But also at the same time, I'm like, can you not just hire an, I there's so many good looking Irish men. But at the same time, they did it with Jamie Dornan and then Jamie Dornan somehow had a fake Irish accent. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. was the solution or not. I, I was just kind of thinking, would you not? Would they not just let Jamie Dornan like speak the way he normally speaks? Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know. Jeez. So one, funny. One film which I'd recommend, like, it didn't do very well particularly, but I think it, it engages with the notion of the Irish diaspora quite well. Um, is the Matchmaker? Have you seen it? I have not, no. no. Like, is it about Liston Varna? Well, it's sort of like analogous to Liston Varna. Obviously, they, they didn't film it. Or, or well, maybe they did film it. I don't know where it was filmed, but it's set in a fictional village called Balanagra, which um, comes from the Irish Balanagra, which means uh, town of love. So, love, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's that. And so basically, this American who's played by... What is it now? What, who played her? Uh, Janine Garofalo. Um, she plays like a senator's assistant and she has to go because he has like in the tradition of Barack Obama and John F. Kennedy, Irish roots. 
And so, oh, oh, sorry, I'm on the Wikipedia and I'm seeing that the screenplay was written by Graham Linehan. And, um... Ew. Yeah. Wait, nope. can, you, can, you, can you catch me up to speed? Who is this? The guy who wrote Father Ted and IT Crowd, who's Father a massive Ted. fucking turf. Oh, is this, is this... I, He's I'm awful. Like, yeah, Glenner. I was like, oh, we, we acknowledge that uh, Father Ted was just written by no one. Yeah, so obviously... It was screen- found... It was found in the forest, like... Yeah. <laughs> the screenplay by of no The Matchmaker one. was written by Hatsune Miku. Anyway, so she's... She's sent to Balinagra because apparently the senator she works for has uh, Irish ancestry and she's there to look for it. And so she falls in love with like the local hunk there and whatever. Um, Wild. Uh, it's really, it's really, I don't know, I really like the film, but it's so funny because at the end of the film, she's talking to his father after he like reveals how much of an asshole he is at like a live event. And she says to his father, like, you know, I could never find your Irish relatives when I was over in Ireland. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, no, I made that up. I told that to him. That's a lie. We're from Hungary, not Ireland. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Lord but, above us. I but, love it. That's such a, that's a, it is like, that's a thing, though. The people, when everyone was doing the, in during lockdown, was doing the ancestry things. They had no one, no one's family mythologies of where they were from actually lined up. They were like, oh, here's where my actual DNA is from. Yeah. One <laughs> of the really interesting things that I'm learning now, because I've gone into the Wikipedia page for The Matchmaker, um, so critical response, uh, review aggregation website Rotten Tomatoes gives the film a score of 50% based on reviews from 32 critics with an average rating of 5.5 out of 10 reviews. It was not critically well received. However, this this is the paragraph that I'm really uh, interested in. Roger Ebert gives the film three out of four stars. Ebert praises Garofalo, calling her, quote, one of the most engaging actresses around, end quote, and admiring her balance of, quote, her cynical intelligence and the warmth of her smile. Ebert finds the Irish center of the film charming and says the Boston bookends are distracting. Uh, and then the Irish independent notes, bad things happen whenever Hollywood and Ireland collide, and this rather thin comedy is no exception, but says the film is helped by the central performance of Janine Garofalo. So that really is, um, I, I think that's the takeaway. Bad things happen whenever Hollywood and Ireland collide. Oh, Jesus. I'm obsessed, yeah, I'm obsessed with Roger Ebert, like, I'm obsessed with Roger Ebert liking it, though, like. Yeah, Roger that's He's a strange. He was a strange man. Like I, yeah. I don't know. He just seems very. Sometimes he had very unexpected like opinions of things, like which I kind of like because sometimes they line up with my weird opinions of things. But like I don't know. He's he's a bit strange. Very odd. I'll have to go watch it now, though. I but I've also never seen Darby yeah. O'Gill either. But but I'm just I was a very I don't do like. I, I've never, I've not watched any anything that an Irish person hasn't suggested to me, you know, like so now you've now you've done, it. yeah. Just because I don't want to, like I, I just since I moved here, like I'll watch. I don't know what what have I seen? I actually saw Brooklyn with Sir Ronan. I really oh, liked yeah. that one. Oh yeah, remember that? That one was really good. Um, I also watched the really weird Western, famine Western. What was that called? Black Forty Seven. I stood up yeah, seen that I haven't been yeah. I had to I had to watch that through my Irish studies class and that was interesting. But it's but also the main guy is an Australian. Who is this now? Oh. Hold on. 
He learned Irish for the role, but he's actually Australian because he's <laughs> he's the Australian guy, a new girl. He's he's like um, forty seven. James Freshville. Yeah, he's 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 Australian. Huh. He watched, and he learned Irish for the role, which is very cool. So I'm like, you know what? If you're gonna steal a role from an Irish person, at least you're at least you're learning the learning the the language. But like, still. Yeah. Mm. He's, he's uh, his character name is listed as Feeny, which I think is hilarious. That they were like, what will we call our Irish character? Ah, yes, Feeny. Especially because he was supposed to be from like North Connemara, and that's not really a North Connemara name. That was really mm. name. Mm. Yeah, Google Weaving is it? Google Weaving's in it. Hmm. Yeah, no, he's really good in it. It's like a really good. It was a good film, but also I was like, this is weird. Like it was, it was beautiful because the Irish landscape was like a main attraction of it and they actually used the proper landscapes and the old houses and everything for it so i was glad that at least for once they weren't like making like they weren't putting a different part of ireland as as north connemara it was filmed all in connemara which is beautiful but at the same time i was like of course. Space. yeah actually in that now as well just uh making his second appearance on the podcast is barry kyogan uh one of my favorite hey. uh actors currently going um star of american animals and he was in um killing of a sacred deer and dunkirk and things like that and he's gonna be in eternals now but yeah was, they filmed a movie in galway about um traveler people and horses right no yeah horses. yes and he was also in um they did a series it was terrible but on 1916 i think it was called rebellion and he was oh i've heard, heard of it yeah yeah, because he was in. He was one of the lads that was in Willie Pierce's school, I think. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. No, he's great though. Did you know he was in Chernobyl? I didn't watch Chernobyl. I need to. Um, it was, it was playing when I was out living on Boffin during the summer, and I couldn't get HBO Go to lo- load for about three weeks, and I gave up. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, was... no, Inish Boffin. I stopped watching TV on Inish Boffin because I didn't have Wi-Fi in my room. And so I was actually reading books instead of watching stuff, which was great. But now I'm behind on, on pop culture by a few years. I'm behind on so many Marvel films. I actually felt really bad listening to MJ's episode or Maul's episode. Um, because I was like, oh, no, I'm so behind on Marvel content. So <laughs> but it was really fun to listen to it because it got me caught up a little bit. It was I'm not really I'm not really afraid of spoilers. So it was nice kind of fair, filling in fair. the blanks of, of Marvel of Marvel. Um, cinematic universe stuff, but no, I'm so bad about about that anymore. Just because I couldn't couldn't get anything to load on like Netflix or whatever. The last thing I watched as it came out was the last season of Peaky Blinders. Was everyone on the island is obsessed with Peaky Blinders, and so I'd have at least some house to watch it in every summer. But beyond that, I have nothing. I have I'm so behind because of that island. But I, I'd say you wouldn't trade that for the world, like you know those summers on Inish Bafan. Oh, I definitely wouldn't. Jeez, the things that like yeah. I actually have been journaling, and I have about twelve. I want to. I've done little vignettes of short stories of things that I just think people should hear about. It's not even things that I was doing particularly, but I'm hoping to. I wanted to do it for the capital culture for 2020, but then the pandemic like beat the crap out of me, and so I kind of stopped mm. a little bit. But I want to eventually publish the collection of short stories and poetry I've written about the island, because I've written a decent amount of it. And it's for the first time something I've really felt like I could communicate effectively about and I could really 
take people to the island through my writing and I'm really wanting to do that so badly. And now that I'm finished with my degree and I can feel like I can be doing reading and writing guilt-free, I'm hoping I'll get some of that done <laughs> in the next next while anyway. Well, we'll look forward to seeing it, like if and when you do publish it. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, like some of my poetry has gone on gone on Twitter, um, but the, the actual, uh, the short stories haven't made it anywhere yet. Oh yeah, I was. Was it you who had the thread of their poetry being uh, being like, you know, which order would you like them in? Yeah, or, yep, that was me. Yeah. Oh yeah, those are really good. Oh, thank Remember, you. You posted some of them on Instagram as well. They were really, really nice. Oh, thank um, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> For the people listening in the background, I'm going to plug the social media. Um, I'm Alyssa likes juice on Instagram. And then I'm the Ankbjör. I think I think it's search for juice on Twitter. Yeah, at um, search for juice. Yeah, mm. and it's just a lot of Inish Baffin content, and I'm going to Inish Baffin this weekend, so it's going to be a lot more Inish Baffin content, and it will continue to to be Inish Baffin content for probably the rest of my life. So, you know, never and ever. <laughs> yep, and <laughs> I then feel everyone... like. Sorry. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, you know, like, we'd be able to, like, you know, like, wrap this up, like, shortly, but, like, you know, if you have something else to say, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm all good. I could talk about Inish Boston for hours, but at the same time, it'd be, people just need to come visit. <laughs> people just need to come visit, and then, um, it'll be good. But I appreciate yeah. you guys so much for having me on and everything. It was really wonderful getting to talk about the island, and hopefully, uh, hopefully people from, from the island, uh, listen back, and... Yeah. Don't don't have too much to disagree about what I say, but um, I just want to thank everyone um, up, down, over, and back on the island. Um, instead of saying north, south, east, or west, everyone just says, "Are you going up? Are you going down? Are you going to going um, yeah, going nice. up or back?" And so when yeah. I, that's that's a way without having to name off 180 people. So I just always have to thank all the people of the island for taking care of me and really, really being so accommodating for me poking and prodding into their into their history and their social lives and just being so kind so although it would Thank have been you, a Ray. it would have been a really nice way to round off the podcast with you just naming 180 people <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh no exactly exactly uh jeez i could i could but i'm not going to because we'd we'd run out of time we'd run out of time mm. but uh, i appreciate you all we we've never had a guest preempt us into plugging their social media. So like this this is a hyperfixations first. Now 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 what do we do? <laughs> oh, so is sorry. there anything else is there is there anything else you'd like to share? Like anything else you want to plug or Oh, um Well, definitely go if you're uh wanting to support Inish Boffin or uh, offshore island communities, Inish Boffin Heritage Museum. On Facebook, there's a GoFundMe running to um, fund the new museum, and the woman running it is the most deserving person in the world. And if you want to um, support my art, um, I'm probably going to relaunch for the winter my um, art prints that are also going to support the museum through pro through the proceeds is inishmericaart.com. Mm -hmm. It's on um, inishmerica is inishmerica art is on Instagram and. Um, pretty easy to find the find that website through my pages whatever and you can still just look at the art anyway and i'll be continuing to support um island charities through that for as long as i can mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. otherwise well, i don't do very much at all 
We'll um, have come both of those. Come visit me on Inishfafen, everyone. It's just everyone's yeah. welcome. We'll definitely have both of those uh, linked in the description as well if people want to give to the building of the Inishbafen Museum. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, Nigel, where can we find you? You can mainly find me on Twitter, at uh, SpicyNigel, where I have tweeted about how people are not ready to see the purchases I made today. They're just, they're not. I have uh, a, I I have a, new, a new look. Uh, and as I said to Ali before we started recording, it involves a beret. Um, <gasps> oh my god! Yeah, I've also Amazing. I've also uh, posted a, a TikTok finally again on my account. So that's also Spicy Nigel on TikTok. It's about a pigeon that was in um, the warehouse at work. Oh my god! Ali, where can we find you? You? Can, you can find me on Twitter at alicat underscore ali spelled like alleyway cat spelled with a K. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore K underscore Keegan. Uh, you can find the podcast at Hyperfixations P on Twitter. Or at Hyperfixations Pod on Instagram. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iced into the top of a cake, wherever. If you would like to come on to the show to discuss one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. And that's all for now. Uh, Alyssa, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you guys soon. Talk to Have you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Signing off.